Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. Everybody for jumping in. This is Breakfast with Champions. My name is Brian Fanzo. I am a digital futurist and keynote speaker. I've had the luxury of speaking in 76 countries around the world, and I am excited for her to kind of you know run this next hour for you. And I'm really going to break down. You know, last week I talked a lot about the speaking business. I talked a lot about you know what it takes in this space and answered a lot of questions. And originally I was going to talk about something different here, but the amount of DMs I got last week around. You know, what does it take to build a presentation? How how do I how do I become uh, a better storyteller? And what role does this like, does you know this new virtual hybrid world play in our ability to connect with our audience through? Uh, if it's either you know maybe it's a PowerPoint presentation, maybe it's a, a webinar, maybe it's uh, something even you know maybe you're you're going to speak at a mastermind or something. And so this conversation I'm going to break down for you today is not just for speakers; it's for everyone who wants to you really get people to listen to what they have to say, right? That's, I think this is an important aspect, right? There are a lot of people that are going to help you talk better. There are a lot of people that are going to help you maybe tell better stories. There are a lot of people that are probably going to help you really understand the power of your voice and showing up, which you know works really well for me because uh, I'm a big believer in pressing the damn button and putting yourself out there. But really what my focus is here is understanding how we can craft messages, how we can build narrative, how we can leverage emotional intelligence to really make sure that the messages that we are providing, it can be on social, it can be on a webinar, it can be on a virtual event, wherever that may be, the goal of this is to help us all be better at not only conveying our message, but giving people a reason to actually listen to us. So hopefully you guys are in for that. And um, you know, for me, this is the beauty. I, I firmly believe that we all have a story to tell. We all have a voice. Thank God for the digital social world giving us all a megaphone. But just because we have a megaphone um, at our disposal doesn't mean that we are A, knowing how to use it, or B, which I think is the most important piece. And I, I mentioned this during my, my guest segment earlier this week. I think the magic in storytelling online and digital is understanding how to create great content 
and understanding the role of delivering it to the right people and then most importantly, at the right time. And so when we think about this role of storytelling, crafting our messages, you know, I've had the opportunity to speak in front of a wide range of audiences. Just even this in the last two months, right? I spoke in front of, you know, a 10,000 person arena in Chicago um, last week at the Apartmentalize event, which is a massive multi-family uh, multi event that happened there in Chicago. It was actually the, the first event back in Chicago there um, since the pandemic started. Uh, you know, the week before, I was actually able to, you know, uh, speak at a couple different events uh, on, you know, one of them was a tech uh, uh, enterprise technology uh, company uh, event, and then the next day was an event on uh, for future leaders that are in um, in the dental, um, you know, hospitality healthcare space. Uh, and so for me, I get to I have that opportunity to speak to different audiences. I have the opportunity to speak on different size stages, everything from virtual. I did 75 virtual events last year um, that were part of my program because as a full-time speaker, when the events went away, um, so did my ability to deliver, you know, kind of the, the messages that I uh, deliver. I, I do on average about 60 speaking event, uh, events a year. And so when I think about this idea of conveying our message and storytelling, I want to level set really quick. The beauty of storytelling, the beauty of our, the great orators that exist in the world, the great storytellers, the great presenters, is that the, object, the, the, the goal is not to be perfect. And the reason I think storytelling is so beautiful is that you can never be perfect with a story because the variables will continue to change. And the variables around us are also changing and will, would drastically impact our ability to deliver a presentation. Let's take one of the greatest presentations, one of the greatest speeches of all time with Martin Luther King Jr. and you know, the I Have a Dream speech, right? The amount of variables that existed as he was delivering that powerful conversation played into his ability to deliver that individual message, which is ingrained in so many of us, right? And when we think about that, the interesting part about studying storytelling and, and understanding some of the things from a story arc to understanding how do I be vulnerable but not leave people in an emotional state that they're not able to handle? How do I talk about something that might be emotional to me without breaking down and distracting the audience from my ability to deliver uh, my, my information, right? And I think for me, when I look at great storytelling, it is, comes down to this idea that we have to embrace that our goal is to make an impact on others. We are not telling a story for ourselves. We are not crafting presentations or messages so that we can feel better. Or more importantly, and I think this is a mistake that many of us make when it comes to, uh, you know, maybe it's building a pitch deck. Maybe it's presenting a webinar for your mastermind. You, your goal, what you should not, when you're crafting your presentation slides, when you're thinking about your storytelling elements, it is not about convincing the audience that you are an expert. Because here's the interesting thing is if you have the microphone, you have their attention, you already have convinced them enough to show up. It is now not your job to convince them that you are an expert, rather, it's your job to share your unique perspective and connect your stories, the stories you're telling, with the audience's pain points or problems that they have to solve. And so when I think about this, and, I, and, I, and I've shared this on, on Clubhouse a lot, but I haven't brought it here to, to Breakfast with the Champions, you know, I have a method that every single time that I speak, it could be 30 minutes on, on Clubhouse, it could be an hour and a half on a stage in front of 10,000 people, it could be a podcast episode where I'm doing it by myself, it could be a webinar, every single time, I have the same five-point structure of building out my presentation. 
But before I get to the five-point structure element, one of the things that we have to really understand when it comes to storytelling is not only is perfection not the goal and not what we're trying to achieve, but we also have to realize we must define what success of a presentation is prior to us building out a presentation. Let me say that again. If you are not, you are not you're actually crafting out and saying, this presentation, the success of this presentation is, if you are not developing that prior to building the presentation, I can guarantee you every single time that you give a presentation that you don't define the success first, it will always feel like not enough. Like we've all done that, right? Like, man, that presentation was good. Every single person stayed in the room. I got 25% of the people to sign up to my upsell, but man, it wasn't as successful as I thought it was, right? I, I was hoping it was gonna be better. Well, why is that? Well, part of it is, if we don't visualize picture success and build the actual presentation towards our version of success, there's no measurement. There's no way that we can actually physically understand how this kind of shows up. And so for me, that is a big factor. And I and and for those that don't, you know, like I've done, uh, you know, I've been I've had the luxury of speaking in front of audiences since 2005. And so for you know the last you know 16 years, uh, I worked in the government for the for cybersecurity. So I got to speak at the Pentagon um, in front of the Joint Chief of Staff every you know four times a year for uh, four years straight. One of the first presentations I ever gave in front of a live audience, General Petraeus uh, was in the front row in full uniform um, as uh, you know the military. I was speaking to uh, the Joint Chief of Staff on how they could recruit millennials into their into the workforce and understanding uh, you know how the world was changing around us and and real quick just a shout out for all those you know military families all those that have served in the military uh, we appreciate you we, we we are thankful for uh, your service we're thankful for your sacrifice we're thankful and understand that there is a lot of things that you are going through at this time and for all of us that haven't had the luxury or the pleasure of serving or you know protecting our country or the countries that you are representing you know it is a great time and a reminder for us to reach out to a veteran just reach out to a veteran, not one that is reach, not one that's like telling you that they need help. I'm talking any veteran, and just let them know that you're there, that you're listening, and that that you appreciate them. And I, and I, I feel like there there is never a time in our in our day-to-day uh, -to -day lives today that it's uh, not important to check in on you know those that we know need help, but also those that we know might be you know suffering in silence. And so uh, I, I I truly do appreciate uh, all of those in the military and. And for me, you know, that time that I presented there at the Pentagon um, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff back in 2005 for the very first time, I was sent to two different trainings before I was there. I had to get certified in communications, and I had to go through this, this nonverbal communication body language course. And I will tell you, I, I thought I was going to fail the communications course because their goal and their part of their presentation format was do not speak with your hands and do not talk fast. And for everyone that's in here, like if you might have heard, uh, you know, the podcast episode on Breakfast with Champions that I was on came out last week. Um, I want to I want to give you guys a little help. Do not listen to that podcast episode at one and a half speed. I sound like Mickey Mouse. I, I you can try it out and you I'll, you'll be like, oh, this is Mickey Mouse, right? Like you'll you'll kind of laugh at the fact because I already talk fast enough, right? And so when I went to this training in 2005 and they were grading us on our ability to not use our hands, and I am Italian, and my, my, my dad, my grandparents have always talked with their hands, and I'm very proud of my heritage, and, and I kind of own those aspects of, of who I am. And so for me, like, I talk with my hands, and I also talk fast. 
And what I learned was the last day when I gave my presentation there at this uh, certification, I just assumed that I was going to fail because the two things that they graded on us first, I did not get passing uh, numbers on. And so when I delivered this last one, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to own it. I'm going to tell stories the way that I tell stories. I'm going to put myself out there the way that I put story, you know, put things out there. And I ended up passing the course. And, and I passed the course, and I remember you know, the, the instructor there at the course that I was taking there in Baltimore, Maryland. He came over to me and said, and I was like, how did I pass? Like, I talk with my hands, and I talk with, uh, and I talk fast. And he's like, at this point, at the end of the course, I wasn't grading on the mechanics. I was grading on your ability to impact based on the story you were telling. And that hit home with me from the jump. Because there are lots of people that are going to tell you to take out the ums and the ahs. And I can promise you, if it was a drinking game right now, and you were taking out, you were going to play for the ums and the ahs while I'm talking as a professional speaker, you're going to get drunk because I have lots of ums and ahs in my talks. Like every Instagram story that I do and I add the captions, I'm like, oh my goodness. How many times do I say, uh, like, right, right? So, but the reason I say that is lots of people kind of think about those vanity elements of what we need to clean up. But here's the, here's the, the piece of this that we have to remember. If the vanity elements, if you talking with your hands, if you talking fast, if you saying mm and ah or maybe or, or having those pauses, if they do not distract or take away from the impact or the message that you are receiving or you are delivering, they don't matter. Because there, it's easy, and I, and I think this comes into this idea where people are coaching a lot of speakers, and people are, are and, and, and those are very programmatical things that you can work on. And I will tell you, I have, wor I have worked on I'm not telling you that you shouldn't work on becoming a better communicator and trying to avoid some of these things. And I will tell you, I work very hard on understanding the importance of the, the dramatic pause on stage. You see what I did there? Yeah, there's, the, there's your dramatic pause. I know on Clubhouse it's a little bit different because you're like, did he just go away? Did his signal come out? Did someone call him? But we can work on some of these mechanics. But here's what I kind of have learned over the years. When it comes to delivering a great presentation, it starts out with that definition of success, right? What does success look like? But then it requires us to kind of take it back a step and understand what are the things that we want the audience to take away from our presentation, what is the goal or the even the measurable goal? And, and, and I will say, when I went to that, you know, I passed that certification course that I mentioned in 2005, one of the things that have helped me the most of everything I've ever done was actually in 2010, I was playing uh, semi-professional poker, and I know uh, Nate was uh, someone, I don't know if Nate knows this, but I actually met Nate uh, a couple times there uh, at the poker table, both uh, WPT and, and WSOP, and I was playing semi-professional poker. I was sponsored, and I was doing it through uh, in a limbo time between working for the government and going and working a startup, and I went and took a, a, a non-verbal uh, boot camp, and it was by a gentleman that's named Joe Navarro, Joe Navarro is a retired FBI agent. He is someone that is a master of nonverbal cues and body language. And I went to this four-day boot camp where he walked us through how he would you know, read people's body language, understanding how to create a baseline of knowledge and understanding you know, the idea that people's feet are actually the number one thing that gives away what we're, we are, you know, our nonverbal cues. Yes, I said your feet. 
It doesn't matter if you're at a poker table or it doesn't matter if I'm standing in front of you. Our feet are the number one thing that give things away in many cases, not in every case. And part of it is it's the furthest from our head. It's also the thing that we think about the least. And I will tell you, I was in New York. Some of you I got to meet in New York. And every conversation I have, every single one, I am immediately tracking those things just based on my human nature, right? Where is their feet position? Is the, are they open to me? Are they closed to me? Are they receding? Are they leaning in? And, and a lot of those things kind of come into factor. But I will tell you, that is what's made me a great you know, speaker today, is my ability to kind of roll with the punches, read the audience, and understand what's going on. But I would not be able to do any of that in real time if I didn't understand how to create a presentation that works best for me. Because until you're actually comfortable with the way that you're presenting, the format, the structure, the way that you kind of make sure that you're covering the right things, the only thing you're going to factor in is like, what's next slide? Or, or what am I talking about? Or did anyone like this, right? And so for me, when I hear people starting out by trying to take your ums and your ahs away or trying to slow you down, here's the thing. Let's first work on crafting a great story, a great presentation, a great keynote program. And then after we've mastered that part, right? Not we haven't perfected it. Perfection is a fairy tale. But after we have worked and mastered that ability to understand that this message is well packaged, now we can start adding on some of these things like blocking on stages and understanding, you know, do we need more slides or do we need less slides and a lot of those type of variables. And so I mentioned that the first part of this is we define what success looks like. The second part of this is where I really hone in on what are my goals for the audience. And I will tell you, you know, I have four keynote programs on my website right now that I sell, my speaker agent um, and team sells for that side of my business. And four programs, and, and the four programs, uh, one is titled Press the Damn Button, uh, which is my mantra and uh, the book that I'm writing, so Press the Damn Button is one of them. Another one is Think Like a Fan, it's a marketing talk, so uh, my last name is Fanzo, uh, so Think Like a Fan kind of worked in well. I'm also a diehard Pittsburgh sports fan, so that worked as well. Um, the third one is Digital Empathy, uh, the idea of like what, how do we create and leverage empathy in this digital technology world. And the last one is called Shrink the Distance, which is really focused on how do we not let technology distance ourselves from the human condition. And the reason I told you that I have those four programs is because I have four programs, but I have never once given any of those programs the exact same back-to-back -back times, even if I'm giving them back-to-back -back weeks. Like next week, I'm speaking at three events, uh, one of them here in Virginia, two of them in Maryland, um, and some really cool events. I'm speaking at the uh, you know, one of the largest exhibition and trade show events um, there uh, in, in Maryland uh, next week. And I'm, the talk that I'm giving is digital empathy in a creator economy, understanding that where we're moving. And the reason I share that is because our presentations themselves, will be, we will adapt them to our audience. We will adapt the stories that we're telling depending on are we doing it online or are we doing it offline? Am I doing it on a big stage or a little stage? Am I doing it where people are eating lunch? I've done plenty of keynotes while people are eating lunch. Uh, I don't recommend it. You just talk really loud so you can't hear the, the clanging of people's plates. <laughs> um, but we have to, you know, the, those things factor in. But the, the, the beauty of, cra of really honing in your presentation is that for me, about 80% of my presentations, every time I deliver them, deliver them, are pretty much the same. Pretty much the same as far as what the slides look like and how they delivered. 20% of them, I adapt based on maybe it's a different industry. Maybe it's a maybe I I last time I gave this talk was to B2B audiences, and now I give give it to B2C audiences. And and I will tell you, I talk to more B2B companies than I do anything else. That's kind of my uh, one of my. Uh, sweet spots for brands and businesses. And so when we think about this idea of 
we need to understand what are our takeaways of our presentation. That doesn't mean that every time we give the talk, it's going to be the same stories and the same messages. But what it does mean is that we are crafting this from a place that says, if this presentation is delivered, no matter who the audience is, ultimately these three things, and I always pick three, it's just my own way of doing it. There's no like magic recipe. I, I just felt like three worked well for me and I can do that in 30 minutes or I could do it in 60 minutes. And so what three things do I want the audience to walk away with? Now, when I tell you that, you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe those are just my themes. Here's what I mean by the audience walk away with. When someone leaves my presentations, when they, actually, when you even leave a clubhouse room right now, because here's a little sneak peek. I'm using this formula right now for this, for this talk that I'm giving you right now. Right, right, you know, as I was building out what I was going to talk about today, I wrote down on a sticky note the f these five things that I'm, that I'm going to kind of talk about through here because that's how I deliver uh, my clubhouse rooms as well, right? So what I, what I think about from the standpoint of is, okay, if someone leaves this room at 2 o'clock Eastern time and they, maybe they jump in another clubhouse room, maybe they're on a Zoom with their company and they say, oh, I just got off this clubhouse room with this like fast-talking uh, millennial kid named Fanzo, um, and it was really, you know, it was a really exciteful and presentation. And if that person asks, oh, what did he talk about? I want that answer to fit into one of my three key takeaways of this presentation. And so it doesn't mean that the three takeaways have to be on a slide. It can be you know, the thread that is integrated across the presentation. It could be something that is the thing you re reiterate the most ar around the presentation. Or maybe it's a story that you know that people will walk away and remember, right? And we, and we all have heard, I feel like maybe on Clubhouse, the most popular quote of all time on this app is the Maya Angelou quote about people don't remember what you say, people don't remember what you do, but people remember how you make them feel. Right? And so within our ability to tell great stories is that emotional connection for making people feel. Now, the, character, the, the thing that we have to remember with this is the, the idea of emotion doesn't always mean that the emotion that we are having people feel is what, is what we desire as, as creators, as presenters. And I will say this is, to me, a, a massive you know, oversight that we oftentimes don't factor in when we're building out a presentation is that yes, we might be excited to talk about a topic like mental health or talk, we might integrate COVID-19 into um, our storytelling. But the things that we have to factor in is how do we know that some of the people in the audience don't have amazing uh, partners in life that are frontline workers? How do we know that they haven't lost some people in their life recently thanks to, you know, because of COVID? And for all those that are in the audience now, you know, I feel for you, I, I, I mentioned before thanking the military. I don't want to oversight thanking the first-line workers, the nurses, the doctors, those that are supporting in the nur nursing homes and really anyone that is doing any you know, part of this uh, global pandemic and helping you know, the world and helping out those that you know, can't help themselves and, and really hopefully helping us all kind of emerge out of this and, and hopefully stronger. And, and I think when we think about that emotional element, right, how, you know, the Maya Angelou, how do I make people feel? We have to be very understanding that how we feel telling a story does not actually mean that we can actually deliver what uh, the emotion is that from the audience. And I think that's often a mistake where we're like, you know what, I'm feeling excited. I just overcame this massive thing in my life and I'm going to deliver it because this is an emotion and I'm gonna get everybody you know, fired up, I'm gonna get everybody excited. Yet that element of the story triggers something in the audience where their emotional connection might be different. And so when I'm thinking about those takeaways, I wanna factor them into your presentation. So when we started out with defining success, and now I mentioned that I wanna have three takeaways, three takeaways that I want the audience to walk away from my presentations. 
The fourth, the fourth point, which is, you know, of the five, the fourth point is what is the big story? What is the story that I'm either going to open up with or I'm going to be very close to the open with that I'm also going to tie in at the end, right? I'm going to do that beautiful callback at the end. And if you've ever heard me on a room on Clubhouse where I have the microphone, uh, especially in a room like this, you will notice whatever I open up talking about, I always bring it back to that at the end, right? That's part of like the, that story, um, you know, making sure that not only am I closing the loop, but I'm bringing people with me, right? So, and you can kind of think about that from the, the thing that I, I mentioned at the very start of, of this uh, of this talking, and, and you can hold me accountable. If, if you hear me on stage and I don't close the loop on something, let me know, because I'm, I'm not a perfect storyteller. I am still learning just like all of us you know, here in the room. And so that fourth point is, what is that story? What is the, like, what is the story that is really going to, to hammer home those three key points? And what is the story that's really going to resonate? Now, I will tell you, for me, part of my brand, part of my business, the way that I deliver presentations, is I always open up every single presentation with a cold opening. What I mean by that is I get introduced, I walk to the center of the stage, I allow the audience's clapping to come down, and I immediately start in with a story. I don't start in with, thank you everybody for, let, or for being here. I mean, thanking everybody for being there is kind of you know, awkward, or I'm excited to be here. Like, what's the opposite of excited to be here, right? No one's gonna go on stage and say, um, I'm really pissed off to be here, I wish I wasn't here, right? So like, we have to be very careful with those kind of, those kind of narratives when we're on stage. But for me, I open up and say, I'll say something like, I was 14 years old. My family per had just acquired a frozen yogurt shop. Or I'll say, I want you guys to go with me back to Iraq in 2009, the first time I was able to travel over with the military, whatever that may be. And that's how I open up my presentations. Now, that isn't for everyone. I believe we all have a different way of capturing the attention of the audience. I know because of the clothes I wear, the backwards hat that I wear, that oftentimes that first initial thing that I say has to get people to lean in or they're gonna roll their eyes and be like, God, another millennial that thinks he knows something and he has a hat on backwards, like he doesn't respect us, How, why isn't he wearing a suit and tie? And so I understand because of the expectations that I set based on how I show up that I need to make sure I hook them. And so we all can learn from that in the sense of understanding the baseline of what people think of you when you start a presentation should actually determine what you actually start with, right? If everyone already there that you're presenting to already knows you, loves you, is a big fan of you, don't start with your resume. Don't start with, with even, you know, maybe don't even start with a story. Start with something that is a, a data point that might shock them, right? Like, start with a data point that says, does everyone in here know that TikTok just recently overtook YouTube for the most watched video platform in the world for the first time in history? Like, that's a, like, that's a data point that goes, oh, really? Like, this person I already know, I already like, now they're giving me something. The other, the other trick that I like to, to implement, and we can do that here on Clubhouse as well, is give people the answer to the problem that you're going to solve during your presentation and give it to them out of the jump. Tell them right out of the thing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna solve the problem that you have with imposter syndrome and I'm gonna give you six key takeaways for solving that imposter syndrome. Like really, like just throw it out there because here's the thing that does is it does allow us to go, oh, oh, that's what they're gonna, oh, I, I'm looking forward to that, or, oh, I don't really care enough about that, I can leave, right? That's, th there's those, those balances of it. So when I'm building out this sticky five, that's what I call it, it's for sticky note, I, I put on a sticky note every single time I do it, and so the first three are those key takeaways. Number four is that key story, that themed story that I'm going to integrate in my presentation. And then number five is either a data point, like a data point that you know will, will allow this story, the, this presentation to really kind of lean in and be really valuable, or 
it is something very personalized or customized that is directly for your audience that is in the room. And I will tell you, this is one of the things that we can, we can really improve on, is you know, on Clubhouse, we're learning really well to be great edifiers of others, right? And if you are not a great edifier on Clubhouse, um, please leave the platform. We have enough people that are ignorant to people's shares, and I know this is a little soapbox, but you know, people are oftentimes stepping out of their comfort zone to open the microphone to share something. And the very minimum we can do is at least let them know that they were heard. It doesn't mean we have to agree with people. It does not mean that we have to tell people that they are amazing. It's the greatest thing they've ever shared. But there are far too many places in the world that don't give enough people vo voices, especially those that are in, in diversity situations. But we need to make sure that we are not only uh, allowing these voices and creating safe spaces, but we have to make sure that we allow them to know that they were heard. Because in many cases, this might be the only time they open the microphone. And if we ignore them or we overlook them or we just move on to the next person, that person might not ever share that story again. And I believe there is plenty of examples of places that we need to empower people to continue telling stories and continue putting themselves out there. And part of this as a great, um, you know, as a great storyteller is that fifth bullet point is how can I edify the audience? How can I allow the audience in to let, me, to let them know I share their problem. Now, I was trying to think of a way that I couldn't bring up the word relatable um, in my presentation today uh, because uh, I know <laughs> my good friend Rachel is in here and, uh, and I've been sharing lots of love and I've, I've said this for a long while that I believe the future of marketing is actually relatability. And I, I love Rachel's book. I, was, I had it on the couch last night. And Rachel you know, D'Alto, who hasn't heard that in all of these rooms, uh, of course, wrote the book Relatable. And as a speaker, as a presenter, as we deliver our stories, the magic of our stories isn't in the fact that we just make someone else the center of the story or the hero of the story, but we allow the general audience to relate with the story that we're telling. And many cases, people feel like, oh, I can't tell a story that no one else has lived, right? Like, I, I, you know, I inherited $4 million and a wine library company, a wine company when I was young. And then I, I was able to kind of tune that, turn that into a YouTube channel and then pivot that into a marketing business. And, and, and that's kind of the origin of Gary Vaynerchuk, right? But the, the beauty of actually Gary's story and the way that he actually tells it is it's not the fact that he is trying to get someone to relate with inheriting a wine business and taking over the family company. Rather, it's, it's getting you to relate with the idea that he had high expectations and was given something that maybe was something he didn't deserve, but he decided to own it and double down and make it something more. And then he was able to turn that into something else. And I think we can all relate to those kind of scenarios, those kind of situations. And so I would argue, no matter what your story is, maybe your story is trying to figure out which billion, billionaire plane to purchase next, right? Like you can't figure out which private plane to purchase, you're trying to decide between all these massive planes, right? Maybe that story for you were like, I could never tell that because it could never relate with the audience. And I would actually disagree because I believe for many people in today's society, in today's world, there are things that we are, are looking to achieve or things that we want to reward ourselves when we get to a certain point. And oftentimes we walk into this decision you know, fatigue moment or we struggle sometimes with rewarding or celebrating ourselves because we feel bad that someone around us, those that are our friends, are going to judge us. And, and I will tell you that if you are not celebrating your wins because your friends are going to be offended or feel bad, those people do not deserve to be your friends. 
because your friends, the people that are in your circle, should be there to celebrate your wins no matter what they're going through. Because let's face it, we, we, there's not enough good happening in the world, especially at this moment, if the people around you aren't celebrating. And don't let them dim your light or force you to dim your light because of what they're going to feel. And I think that, to me, is kind of how that also can apply to someone that is deciding between which private plane to purchase or which yacht to buy. And so the ability to relate your story, and it could be using, maybe it's using vernacular that the audience actually understands. Like for me, I told you I'm speaking at a a expo and trade show event in uh, Maryland next week. One of the things that I've been doing is I went back and watched the video from last year's keynote, and I've been going through their website, even their social media accounts. What are some of the terms they're using? What are some of the, the uh, acronyms that they use versus what I would you know, naturally use in an event, right? Do they mention something like the showroom floor or do they call it the exhibition hall? And these might sound like very small vanity ex- aspects, but when you are telling great stories and delivering a presentation, our ability to hit some of those small details home are the difference between someone leaning in and wanting to listen to you versus someone leaning back and waiting for you to be done talking. Because that happens a lot. And I will tell you, part of it is not in just our ability to tell stories, our ability to craft this great presentation. It is ultimately how to hit some of these details, some of these, you know, these points home for not only you know, the audience that's there, but for really how to set yourself up and understand you know, where you're taking the presentation, how these things are going to actually fit into you know, the life and things that you're reading. So I'm about halfway through my, my hour. I'm going to reset the room real quick, but I got some more takeaways, and I'll walk through that sticky five. And then I'm going to give you guys kind of a, uh, one of the things that I learned from when I watch other presenters. And I know some of my friends here, uh, I see the great Molly Dare, I see uh, Rachel, I see Donna, I see Brad and Rita, a lot of friends that you know, I got to see, a lot of them speak at the uh, Breakfast with Champions event in New York. And they, they've known this, and, and I am a big believer in trying my best to give feedback and celebrate the things that people do great, but also let them know some of the things that maybe they didn't realize that they were doing really well that they can lean in on. And I'm going to give everybody here a couple of those things to look for. And I will tell you, the next time you're watching a TED Talk, the next time you're listening for a clubhouse room and you think someone, wow, this is really good, I, what I want you to, to kind of think about is the things that I'm going to give you here at the end, I want you to think about, ooh, how did that show up? Where did that kind of come together? Right? How did that, that work? And, and I, I think those kind of things are how we become better at, at storytellers. But for those that are here, just a reminder, you are in Breakfast with the Champions. Uh, this is the Millionaire Breakfast Club. Uh, did you know that we're not just on Clubhouse? We have the Breakfast with the Champions podcast. I mentioned before, uh, I'm on one of the most recent episodes, so definitely check that out. It's a, it's a fun 30-minute segment. And Breakfast with the Champions is also has pages on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and LinkedIn, and pretty much everywhere else that you want to be. I, I've been tagging all those channels over there on Twitter. Twitter happens to be uh, my favorite platform at the moment, but I, of course, love Instagram as well. So no matter what you're doing, uh, make sure you go over to the Breakfast with Champions on Instagram and click that link in the bio. And the link in the bio will actually link you out to all of the other social accounts across the board. I love what Sarah and Glenn are building here. You know, I mentioned before that I believe the future of marketing is relatability. I believe the future of business will be powered by community. 
Yeah, let me sit, let, let that sit in for a second. I think businesses and brands of all sizes, no matter how big or bi your business is, no matter how, how big or recognizable your brand is, your ability to empower a community, connect with the community, nurture a community, I believe, moving forward, will be the difference between being, having great success and being a company that we talked about where we used to have a card and we used to check out these videos and take them home and the company that never believed some mail video platform was going to provide us better. Uh, rest in peace, Blockbuster. And so when we think about, you know, I, I kind of mentioned kind of this setup, right? So we talked about the presentation. We talked about our ability to tell great stories. Where I want to take you right now from a standpoint of understanding, I mentioned this before, understanding the little things, understanding our, our, the way that we show up. Now, I'm someone that's very passionate, and I'm very loud, and I talk fast. And I, for a long while, I used to have a sticky note that would, I would actually take out with me on stage. And it just simply said, slow the F down, Fanzo. That's what I wrote on there, slow the F down. Like, because I understood that I talked fast, and that was oftentimes what people would, would say to me. What I had to learn or embrace was that, okay, if this is something I'm going to do, how is it going to impact the rest of my ability to deliver my message and the impact I can make? And there are things that we can tweak, there are things that we can adjust, but there are certain things in all of us, each of us individually, that make the way that we tell stories, the way that we communicate, unique and different. And if you take those away, you lose that magic of what makes you special, right? We hear this all the time. How do we stand out online? We do not stand out online by trying to be the next Gary Vaynerchuk or Grant Cardone or Glenn Lundy. We don't try to be copy what others are doing verbatim. What we need to be better at is understanding why people do things, how they're using their superpowers to deliver their messages, and then going back into ourselves and tapping into that. Because if you truly want to stand out online, here's the, here's the magic to that. You have to embrace the one thing that nobody else can be, and that is yourself. That is truly your perspective. Nobody in the world has the perspective that you have, not even your twin sister, twin brother, not even your family. No one has the exact perspective that you have. And so when we think about this idea of showing up and leaning into our superpowers, we have to understand that there are things that we can adjust. There are things that we can tweak. But there are things that once you adjust them and you realize it takes away from what makes you great, we have to be willing to say, I'm not going to adjust that. So for me, in my bio, when, I, when I'm introduced, it's first mentioned that I am ADHD superpowered. Every single time that I take a stage, I make sure that that is in my bio. But the other part that is always mentioned in my bio is, I hope you guys are holding on to your seats. Brian Fanzo, he talks fast, and he tweets faster. Yeah, you heard that right. So and there's actually something, a shout out to Bala Asfar, uh, one of the chief technical officers over at Salesforce. Uh, he actually gave me that line uh, back in 2013. He saw me speak, and he was like, and you talk fast and you tweet faster. And I was like, can I steal that? Can I own that? And uh, all these years later, I, I own it. But the reason that it's in my bio is not by accident. I will actually say every word that is in my introduction when I take stage is there for a reason. Depending on the audience and depending on the presentation, I actually adjust every single one of my intros because I want to use everything that I have at my disposal to not only tell stories, but to manage expectations. What happened when I started integrating into my intro that I talk fast and tweet faster? Do you know what happened? Very few people came to me afterwards and said, Brian, you talk really fast. 
right? Because I let them know from the jump that that is something that they have to expect, right? And I used to say, like, hey, just have to listen faster, right? Or in a podcast, I tell people, don't listen at one and a half speed, whatever that may be. And so when we think about this managing of expectations, it's important for us to actually invest in what I believe the most important thing that we can invest in right now today, and that is self-awareness. The number one way that you can deliver great presentations to others so that others will listen is actually being more self-aware about yourself. It sounds backwards, I understand, right? How do I get others to listen to me? I focus more on me, right? That's what you're, <laughs> we're all thinking that. But here's the magic in that, is that if we're able to really dial in and understand what makes us great, what are the things that we do that, that, that we do great, but also what are the things that we don't do great? What are the things that we struggle with? What are the things that are not things that we are able to deliver with great proficiency, right? Like I am one, that owns a lot of my flaws. I, I am a big believer in admitting what I don't know, and I have no no problem admitting I don't know an answer or that I can't you know, come up with something and I can connect you with somebody. But our ability to be self-aware, what it actually does is it gives us freedom to lean into the things that we believe in ourselves. And I don't care if you're speaking in front of 10,000 people or 10 people. Your ability to convey your message and ultimately be impactful the way that you want to requires you first to be extremely comfortable in your skin, extremely comfortable in the things and the way that you show up. We've all been there in these presentations where someone shows up and you know they don't even believe the words that are coming out of their mouth. And it, it might have great storytelling. It might have great facts. It might actually form a great story, right, where it's a beginning, middle, and end. We bring them on the story arc. But if they don't believe, we don't believe. Now, I'm going to always kind of put this into the conversation because the number one fear in the world is public speaking. And I understand for many here in the room, public speaking might not be something you worry about. And that's why I said this advice does not just factor in on a stage. But one of the things that I believe that comes into a fact when we are, the reason the fear of public speaking exists is it has very little to do with actually public speaking. It has a lot to do with two things. One, the fact that the stage, in most cases, is higher than those in the audience. Let me explain. For many of us, as soon as we walk onto a stage or we even think about going on a stage, we immediately believe we must present ourselves as better than those in the audience, and if we don't, we should not be up there. Right? I, and, and maybe none of you have thought of it that way. But the reason that is, is something that is a roadblock is that we are waiting to be the expert or waiting for everyone in the room to be dumber than us. Yeah, I said that, right? Because if you are, you're like, you know what? Uh, I can't speak on that. I'm not the expert. I don't know more than people in the audience. You will never take a stage, because I can tell you, I've given hundreds, I mean, probably 800 plus presentations in my life. Never once was I the smartest person in the room. <laughs> never once. Like, never once did I feel like, man, I know everything and they don't know anything, right? And, and I think that's just something you have to own. And so that's one of the things that adds to the fear, right? This idea that I have to be perfect or I have to be the expert or I have to know more than everyone else. And because that stage is higher, it also kind of gives us that, like, um, a little bit of a complex. And I will tell you, the greatest speakers today, when you see them in person, make them feel like the stage is at the same size as them, the audience. They are not talking down at you. They are not talking at you. They are not telling you what you have wrong. They're talking about the problems that we have. They're talking about how we together can make a difference. The second thing that I believe is really holding us back when it comes to stepping into our public speaking is actually our fear of the unknown. Now, many people would say the fear of being judged, but I actually think it's even more than that. It's the fear of, what if I am great and everyone loves me? 
Like, what do I do next? What do I celebrate? Or maybe it's like, you know, what are people going to think about my outfit? What are people going to think about my slide font? What are people going to think? And I, and I, you know, I liked the, the conversation earlier, you know, the room before this, with, where Brooke was talking about as well, where, you know, in this world we're in today, we are going to be judged. There are going to be haters. There are going to people that are going to say things. One of the things that we have to dial in and remember and understand is that we cannot focus on things that we cannot control. And I know we've heard that a bunch, but it is something that we have to continue to reiterate, to continue to practice, especially as speakers. And when I say we can't control it, the only thing I can control is myself. I can control what comes out of my mouth. I can control how I deliver something. And I will tell you, this is one of the, the magic pieces for me in why I wear a backwards baseball hat and a t-shirt on stage. Well, first of all, it's kind of where I'm most comfortable. But second of all, you know, I mentioned before, I have ADHD. I was diagnosed nine years ago. With my ADHD, I suffer from something that's called rejection sensitivity disorder. And I am a massive sufferer of rejection sensitivity disorder. It's often why I struggle to sell. It's oftentimes why I struggle in relationships, both platonic and friends and business, because I do, I've spent most of my life, since I was young, being told that I was doing something wrong or why I couldn't do something that everyone else was doing. Or imagine if you applied yourself, Brian Fanzo, or Brian, I, that's great, but you know, why didn't you pay attention more? Like my entire life, 31 years of my life, I didn't understand that. And then I realize now that you know, much of my life, the, the way that I showed up just living was something that people were telling me was wrong, right? As someone that is neurodiverse, that someone is living this life. And so the rejection sensitivity disorder, the, way I, the reason I bring that up is that when I started speaking, I suffered from the idea of what are people saying about me? And I would notice in the presentations where I didn't know the audience very well, if everyone in the audience had never heard of me before, I would be really worried because I'd be like, do they like me? Do they not like me? Do they, are they worried because I talk too fast? Do they hate me because I'm wearing a hat? Are they, what are, what are they, oh, they don't like me because uh, I'm, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And so what I actually found, and this is how I stepped into my own, was actually wearing that, the clothes that I wear, right? Wearing the backwards hat and the colorful shoes and the, and the t-shirt. What it actually does for me is it allows me to realize there are either people in the audience that know me and love me or people in the audience that have never heard of me and they're immediately judging me like, who is this kid? What is he wearing? And why is he on stage? But what that does is it allows me to understand where they're at. Because this is what I said before. We are afraid of the unknown. And for me, I manage that unknown by putting out this, when I step on stage, I know that they're, for the most part, this is how people are going to think, one of these two areas. And from there, it's now my job to take you on a journey. And I always say, for me, the greatest rooms are when you know, I go speak, especially like healthcare executives, or I talk to people that are executive summits, I do a lot of executive events, and they bring me in and they're like, oh, what is this kid gonna tell us, right? Or like, who is this kid? Like, he doesn't understand us, right? We, you know, like one of my favorite things that people tell me is like, Brian, before your presentation, I walked in, I expected him, you know, like my first thought was, yeah, that's all cool, Brian, but um, yeah, th that doesn't work for us. Like, that's what people feel. But then when I, when I get up there and I tell a story that I had the highest civilian clearance uh, as a civilian that you could get, I had, a, I had to do a seven-year polygraph. I've traveled to 76 countries, and I'm not afraid to admit that I don't know. What I'm able to do is people can go in there judging me and waiting for me to either fail or walk out. And I can take them on a ride by the end when they're giving me a standing ovation. They've gone further to like me than someone that came in the room that already liked me. And I will tell you, I turn a lot of haters, I turn a lot of doubters into fans. Even here on Clubhouse, there are a lot of people that maybe have heard me talk. Fans 
Yes, to Fanzos. Yeah, I know. It kind of works out well having the last name Fanzo, right? Um, but even here on Clubhouse, right, I know sometimes that my first impression might not be something that everyone's going to love. I know the fact that I have a pink background and I am not afraid to be proud about being a girl dad and ADHD superpowered. And maybe I, I talk too fast. I understand that those things are factored into how people judge me. But here's the thing that I also understand is that if people give me time, if people give me their most valuable asset and they give me a chance just to listen to me, just to listen to who I am and how I speak from the heart and how I am not afraid or I am unapologetic with who I am at my core, I know that at least they will have a better understanding of how we move forward. And so that's the reason I believe when we're thinking about getting over our fear of public speaking, it's not about how do I, how do I get all these things and you know, picture the audience naked. Like, I never understood that. Like, picturing my audience as naked scares me half to death every time. Like, I would never picture my audience naked. It's just not something that I would do. But I believe what we have to worry about is let's block out the things we can't control. Let's understand that when we take a stage, that the stage, does, just because the stage is higher than the audience does not mean that we need to be better or experts. And then the second part is, what are the variables or things that I can control that allow me to be the very best me that I can be? Now, I, I, I mentioned before, I'm, I was going to give you guys two little tips, two little things to take away for, you know, as I bring this, you know, kind of conversation to a close. One of them is what I tell every single friend of mine, every person, and I know many of you at Breakfast with Champions at the, at the event there in New York heard this from me verbatim. That every time that you present, I don't care what stage you're on, I don't care where you're at, even here on Clubhouse, for the most part on Clubhouse, when people are going in to listen to you, they're going in to sit in your seats, they are not going there to attend a NASCAR race. Now, be, to be clear, I'm a NASCAR fan. I've been into, I think, 17 different tracks. I love NASCAR. But when you're going to a NASCAR race, what is the thing that we are all hoping it happens at least once? A crash. Right? We, we're going to a NASCAR race, and we're like, man, I hope, that, you know, I hope my driver wins, and I hope there's a, like, a really memorable crash. Here's the thing about being a speaker or a presenter. Nobody goes to a conference or an event or signs up for a webinar hoping that you crash and burn. Nobody. Because we've all been there, right? We've all been there where someone is so nervous or so broken down that they can't finish, right? The, the technology doesn't work. And it's uncomfortable for us in the audience, right? It's uncomfortable for us because here's the thing. We're giving you, the speaker, our most valuable asset, which is our time and our attention. We are hoping that you give us the greatest talk in history. Like, that's what we are going there for. And the funny thing about it is I repeat that every time before I go on stage. Brian, they're not here for NASCAR race. They're here to get my very best, and it's now your job to go deliver. And I will tell you, when you remember that, you remember that they're there cheering for you just as much as you're cheering, and maybe even more so. Maybe the audience is actually wanting you to even be more successful than you realize of yourself. And by taking those roadblocks off of our, our shoulders and understanding that, it allows us to step into some of these things that can really make us great. And then the last part is, I mentioned, you know, my first part was all about the Sticky Five. Uh, if anybody, I have an Instagram uh, Reel or Instagram TV um, over there on my IG. If you click on my IG, click on IGTV, um, you can actually see. I actually walk through my Sticky Five. I, I do some examples for it, so you guys uh, can check that out if you want to check that out. But the, the last part about it was, I mentioned about the baseline of, of how people, um, you know, how I'm presenting and how I like to think about all of these things and, and these nonverbal cues. And, and speaking in a virtual world is much tougher, right, because we don't have a lot of these audience cues and things that are going on. But I will say, no matter if it's virtual or online, the things that I like to think about and the things I like to really focus in on 
is a key aspect of mindset that I am never talking at anyone. I'm talking with everyone. Now, you might have heard some people will put, you know, behind your web camera, you could put a picture of your family. Um, I know for mine, for a while, um, I just had, uh, on behind my web camera, I just had a smiley face that my daughters drew for me because it allowed my, me to, like, it made me smile because I was like, oh, my daughters are cheering me on. Maybe it's a sticky note that just reminds you to smile, right? We've all been on those virtual events where someone's giving great content, but they forget to smile because you're talking into the camera and you forget you're actually talking to people. And so that element of talking with people, not at people, one of the things that I like to do, and one of the things that I like to kind of measure as a presenter, is I'm not trying to gauge the entire audience, right? I got a lot of questions last week that said, Brian, you spoke in, in a 10,000-person arena. How did you make eye contact? How did you see everybody's um, you know, reaction? And here's the, the, here's the secret. 10,000 people in the arena, five people in the arena. I pick three people every time to focus on. Usually within the first five minutes of my talk, I have, I have a mark that is stage right, a mark that is stage left, and usually a mark that is somewhere close to the middle of the stage. And those are the people that I am leveraging and understanding when I should use a story, when I should not use a story. Because here's the tip and the magic that I believe we can all work on. If you have a great story right now that you believe is great and you've been working on it, here's my challenge for you. I want you to formulate a five-minute version of that story, a two-minute version of that story, a one-minute version of that story. Let me say that again. If you have a great story that you like love telling, I believe most of those great stories they love telling, especially if you're Italian, like my dad, who can tell stories for hours upon hours, they are very long. The magic of being a great presenter today is leaning in and understanding when that story needs to be two minutes versus when that story needs to be five minutes. Understanding that I hit this home enough that the audience has already got it and I only need to deliver two minutes of it. Because for far too many times, we tell all of the details of the story, not because we need, believe the audience needs all the details, but because we believe we need to put them in there. And I mentioned that talk that I gave last week in Chicago. I've been working on a new story for six months. I'm practicing on Instagram Live, practicing on Instagram Stories. I've shared it on Clubhouse probably 50 times. And I got to the place in my presentation in Chicago where I was going to deliver this new story that I had practiced, I had honed in. I, I mean, it is, it's damn good. I, I'm not afraid of, of, you know, to say that. And I got to the point, and as I'm going to deliver it, I see the audience lean in. I'm seeing lots of head nods, and I recognize in that moment, they don't need this story. I've already, the, the, the point of this story being here is already delivered. And what I did is I delivered about 30 seconds of it, and I pivoted into the next point. And I can tell you when I got off stage, I was a little bit frustrated. Because I was like, dude, I've been working for six months. I got the biggest stage that I've had all year. And I didn't get to deliver my story. And then I sat with it a second and I remembered, Brian, are you delivering the story for yourself? Or are you delivering your story to make the impact that you want to make for the audience? And so for all of us that have stories to tell, things to share, think about ways that you can have short versions of them, long versions of them. Think about ways that you can make that happen. I always recommend if you're formulating a story, put every single detail on the wall. Right? I, I, like, I like the giant uh, post-it notes. Put every single detail in the wall. And then on another piece of paper, I want you to write down, okay, what is the goal of this story and what aspects of those details is required for this story to make the impact that I need? If we don't start with all of the details, more often than not, we'll just keep adding them and there'll be things that are useless or things that aren't, aren't required or we'll even miss things that we need. And so what I want us to think about or what, is that, what I want us to kind of bring this to a close on is, you know, I mentioned before, you know, I've had the luxury of speaking in 76 countries. 
I've had the honor for the last many years, last six years, uh, speaking at 60 plus events every single year, working with some amazing industries, amazing people, amazing brands. But here's the thing. Storytelling is a beautiful craft because your goal and desire is not to be perfect. The variables will change every single time you give a talk. Every single time you join a different clubhouse room, the people in the room are different, the world around us is different, the people that are, that are you know, the things that are going on in each of our individual lives are different. And so when we think about delivering a great presentation, delivering great stories, no matter where you're at, what I want us all to sit with is that it is not about being perfect, it is not about convincing the audience that you're an expert. Rather, it's about understanding that your goal and belief is to deliver on what success is for you and understand it's about the impact that you can make on others. We all have great stories. We all have the ability to make a great impact. The question is, are we willing to remove it from thinking about ourselves to thinking about the audience? Are we able to take ourselves out of the equation? The next time you're not gonna press the damn button on live video, don't worry about your hair. Don't worry about what you're wearing. Don't worry about what you're going to appeal with. Ask yourself, what if one person comes in that room and I change their lives? What if I don't show up and the audience doesn't, isn't able to hear the experiences that I have and they, get, and they walk through the exact same problems that I have? What if I don't share this and someone feels more alone than they've ever felt in their lives? Imagine if we can impact one person every day by simply moving the focus from ourselves to our audience. I believe in all of you. I believe all of us can make that happen. I believe the magic in today's world is that we all have the ability to tell our stories. We have the megaphones at our disposal, and we have spent way too much time talking about bad news and fake news and corona news and everything else that's going on. We need to focus more time on both telling our stories and amplifying the great stories around us, both on social and on, on uh, you know, apps like Clubhouse. And I will say, it costs zero money to retweet something. It costs zero money to share someone's Instagram post into your Instagram story. Our ability to amplify others is not a financial limitation. It is honestly comes down to are we willing to cheer on other people? Are we willing to celebrate good people doing good things? Because if we believe we're going to make the world a better place, it's not about giving more oxygen to the bad news and the fake news and everything else that's going on in our world. It's about doing our own part to amplify great people around us and then ultimately telling the stories that live within each one of us. My name is Brian Fanzo. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that hour. Uh, I am on all social channels as iSocialFans. Uh, we have about four minutes or so. Does anyone want to jump in? I see Christy, I think, were you clapping or you want to jump in? I was just clapping. Everything you said was incredible, and I totally agree. It's all about the other people, not us. So thank you so much. Sweet. Yes. Alexander, you want to jump in? And I saw you I clapping, do. Alexander, and I, I appreciate you yeah. clapping. That Those nonverbal cubes keep me knowing that I'm on track, so I appreciate you for doing that, my friend. Well, absolutely. I promise you that, it, yeah, exactly. If, if I was in your audience, I would be one of your points because I'm the best audience member because I love to give a speaker energy. But I have to tell you what impresses me the most about you, and this is, I, like, I love edifying, and I just have to, because you went a straight 56 minutes without barely taking a breath, dropping about 79 million gems. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I literally am in the back channels like, who, like, did you get that? Like, I want to get every single thing that you say and you do it so flawlessly. Are you taking time to memorize the flow? Are you, rem I know you remember your five points, like your five sticky notes, 
But how is it that you can do 30 or 60 minutes and either way, not even feel, obviously we can't see you. So I don't know if you're looking at notes or whatnot, but when you're on stage, you're clearly not. What memorization tools are you using? How do you make sure that you get every point you want to out? Ooh, that's a beautiful question. And I appreciate the kind of words, my friend. That, that, that means a lot. I will say for everyone is different, right? And I, I've, I've worked with some many speakers that are very scripted, right? They, wanna, they need to write out every single word of the presentation. And, and I'm first here to say that practicing a presentation does not make you come across as a robot. I will hear this all the time. People will say, well, Brian, I don't want to practice it because I'm best off the cuff. What you're really saying is, I don't want to invest in my craft because I'm hoping that me winging it doesn't come across as me winging it. So I actually believe the more you practice telling these stories and these values, the more it gives you the freedom to tell them in creative ways. And so to answer your question, Alexander, I do not have notes in front of me at all. There's not one note here at all. But what I do every single time is I give me those five things, right? So those things in the sticky note. And, and what I mean by those five things is the five things are written in a way that I know that I need to hit on all of them. So you said like there's 79 things I covered. I will tell you my goal in those 79 things that I covered was that the three of them are the things that are the through line for what I need to talk about. And the reason I started with that sticky note a long time ago was that I was one that would practice it, but I would sometimes get off topic. I would go down a rabbit hole and I'd be like, oh man, where did I go? Like what the, what, where did I, I, I lost myself, right? What that does, what those, stick, what those five things do on the sticky note is it gives me my center. It allows me to come back to home. Like I even, I went there to tell a story at the very beginning of my talk on my, the training that I did when I worked for the government and they sent me to, to go to the communications class. And as I was telling the story in my head, I was like, wait, why was I, where, what's the, what was I, what's the, why was I actually sharing this part? And I look at my sticky note and I remembered part of it was to recognize that we are all becoming, we are all have the ability to be great storytellers and perfection is never what we're looking for. And because I have that listed as my number one bullet point, I can go down that rabbit hole and still come back. Now, I think for everyone that's out there, it, you might be an outline, right? It might be that you want slides. Whatever it may be, I want us to kind of think about it, but I don't want to think that there's all or nothing on the way that you do it. I will also say every story that I shared this last hour, I can promise you I've delivered it 25 times. Every one of those stories. There wasn't one aspect that I shared in this last hour that I've not delivered on IG stories, that I've not talked about on a live video, that I've not mentioned on my podcast. I believe the, the magic in it is, and, and, and for those that don't know, like I have a podcast that's a solo podcast. It's one of the most selfish things I've ever done. I was tired of booking guests. I hated other people's calendars and I hated plying into everyone else. So I launched a podcast that is literally a solo podcast. I talk in the microphone for 30 to an hour, sometimes an hour, and I post that episode. But what that allows me to do is it allows me to practice my crafting of those messages, building out those story narratives, and really kind of bringing people on a journey. And I will say, people in the room will know this, there are many people I will reach out to and say, hey, what, did you, what was the emotional impact you felt when I told this story? And I listen to that because what I'm asking them for is I'm not asking them to tell me I was great. I want to know what they felt, and then I'll decide if that was the feeling that I actually wanted them to have. So I think we can all kind of figure out what works best for us. I just challenge everybody, 
Like if, you, if scripting it out scares you, try an outline. But do not convince yourself that if you practice too much, you'll come off as too robotic. That is, that is a very bad crutch that we use. If you practice so much that everything is second nature, you now have the ability to lean into a five-minute story versus a one-minute story. You now have the ability to lean into the body, the body language of the audience versus the body language of yourself. And so hopefully, Alexander, that answered the question. I appreciate that question. It is uh, spot on. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'm doing this segment every Thursday, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So I will, I will continue on on the, uh, if, you know, if you guys like the speaker side of the house, I will continue on uh, with these kind of messages. And feel free to send me a DM with like, Brian, I'd love for you to cover this or, or talk about this because I am always open uh, to suggestions. But Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.